Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. We're going to be talking to Jordan Rinaldi. He's the third man in UFC history to win a fight via Von Flu choke. It's Jason Von Flu, OSP, and Jordan Rinaldi. So you know we had to catch up with him. And also, I mean, he's a guy that's been repping the Southeast for a very long time here on the regional scene. So it's cool to see him do big things in the UFC. And then we're going to be joined by the best prospect outside of the UFC, Jose Shorty Torres. He's the champ champ for Titan FC. He won their bantamweight title and their flyweight title. And, you know, it's funny because when I spoke with him, I introduced him as the former double champ. You know, because I was under the impression that he was going to fight on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. But he explains the whole story here on Half the Battle, and he's still the champ champ for Titan FC. And last but not least, Martin the Spartan Day. This is a kid. He's a five foot ten flyweight. He's fighting next week on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. Ironically enough, both BJ Penn and Frankie Edgar brought him in to mimic Yair Rodriguez during their camps. That's, uh, that's the kind of prospect we're dealing with here. So we're going to catch up with Martin Day towards the end of the show. But first up, Jordan Rinaldi and then Jose Shorty Torres. Here we go. And joining me now is the third man in UFC history to win a fight via Von Flu choke. I'm talking about Jordan Rinaldi. Jordan, welcome back to Half the Battle. How are y'all doing? Doing amazing. So, I mean, you know, everyone's <laughs> trying to act like you're the fourth person to do it, but you're actually the third because OSP did it twice. Yep. Which is kind of shocking. I wouldn't expect that from OSP. I didn't know that about him. I know, right? When he did it that first time against Nikita Krylov, we were all like, oh, my God, has that ever been done before? But then, you know, when they say the name Von Flu, then you remember, oh, yeah, Jason Von Flu, the man who invented that. Or let, let's not exactly. say invented that, but brought it, you know, exactly. gave it prominence, right? Yes, exactly. It's always been there. Everyone's known about it. So, before we talk about your fight and all that, do you know the history of the Von Fluchuk? I mean, was it originally called something else before Jason Von Flu uh, successfully did it inside the UFC's octagon? Honestly, I have no idea. When I was out in Vegas with Sergio, we had a bunch of wrestlers there, so takedowns were always there, but uh, the strikers tended to hold on to the guillotine too long, so all Sergio would yell at us was, to reverse the guillotine. He didn't call it a Von Flu. He just said it was a choke. And, and that's how I guess a lot of the old school uh, BJJ guys are. They just call them chokes. They don't they don't care for the names that much, I guess. <laughs> and rightfully so. You know, it's all about getting the win by any means necessary. The names are just for the fans. And, you know, when you go out there and you tap a guy out in his home country, in the elevation, I mean, we'll talk about the elevation in a second because, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I get off that airplane and I almost pass out. You know what I mean, Jordan? But, uh, <laughs> exactly. you know, did, did, did you know that he's the kind of guy that was going to go for a guillotine and, let, and, you know, hold on to it even if you pass his guard? Well, I knew he, he, when people do get deep on his hips, he did it against Luke. He grabbed around the neck once or twice uh, when Luke was close to the takedown. And he didn't seem to let go early enough each time. And I said, you know, if I get the, my, my bottom arm over quick enough and lock that in, he won't be able to get it out, especially with the gloves on. So, so we knew that he, he reached for the guillotine a good bit because he, he didn't know the, the best uh, takedown defenses, I guess. Now, tell me about how you addressed the elevation there, because, I mean, your brother told me that you were sleeping in a tent, you were doing all these things. I mean, uh, obviously, it, it seemed like it worked out well. Well, well, 
I was hoping because I was doing a rent to own process and I was going to use this fight to see if it actually worked or not. So uh, it doesn't really help when I only fight for two minutes and, and the <laughs> cardio isn't really tested at all. But yeah, I mean, uh, I was sleeping in the tent. I had to do a certain type of breathing treatment for about an hour and a half each night. And then I would also work out with the mask on uh, twice a week. So it was, it was actually a ton of work doing all that stuff. And it was, it was kind of annoying, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to be, say I'm a believer, I guess. Let's say that. Hey, I mean, look, you got to make the sacrifices necessary to get the win because if you wouldn't have gotten that win, I mean, we, we might not even be talking right now, but now you're in the UFC, you're here to stay. And real quick, I got to ask, okay. how, how did the old lady react to that tent? Well, uh, so it's funny. I, I train in Charlotte and Atlanta. So when I'm in fight camp, I go to Charlotte and stay there. So the tent was in Charlotte, and she would come up on the weekends and stay. So the first few weekends, she could hang with me, and it wasn't bothering her too much with the altitude. But then uh, once I started getting to the higher elevations, she couldn't sleep in it without getting headaches and stuff. But I mean, the first time she saw it, she just laughed and said, this is ridiculous, you know, and, and uh, actually the zipper on one on her side of the tent was broken and I had to get that fixed. So she, she was feeling very claustrophobic. She had to switch sides of the bed. She was freaking out a little bit about it, but, but she got over it real quick. Well, I'm sure this career defining win will, will help a little bit, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's, she was very happy when I talked to her on uh, FaceTime down in Mexico. Yeah, so you were saying that you can actually adjust the elevation in that tent? Yeah, so the the generator basically drops the oxygen levels of the air that it pumps in there. So you can adjust the heights, and, and they have an adapter that takes it all the way up to 21,000 feet, but, but uh, they suggest you really only sleep at 9,000 feet or so at the most, and, and that's about what I was doing. So this dude you took on, Alvaro Herrera, he's absolutely massive. Like I was completely blown away that he dropped to 155, you know, because when I was breaking the fight down, I was actually under the impression that it was at 170. I was like, yeah, there's no way this dude's making 155. But then I looked it up. It said lightweight. I was like, oh, okay. So then I see the fight itself. And, you know, he actually looked sucked out, not just the day of the weigh-ins, but the day of the fight. I mean, that dude's massive. He, he's a big guy. He was soft at 170. I'll say that. But I mean, he was a big guy. He has a, a tall frame and a wide frame. But man, he he was hurting in that fight, I think. And, and I mean, not to say if he if he had an easier time cutting weight, it would be any different. But uh, he definitely had a little bit of, of a struggle. And we knew he would he would have a hard time making it for his first time at 55. I, I honestly don't know if he'll stay at 55 or not. So me and my friends made a bet, and, uh, you know, there was a little moment in that fight where it seemed like you got rocked. Now, I said it was a clash of heads. One of my friends said it was a hook. Which one of us is right? So slowing it down in replay, the hook kind of grazes the back of my head. I don't think that's what hurt me at all. I think the hook actually pulled me in closer because I was going for an uppercut at the same time. So I was going looking for the uppercut, and the hook landed behind my head and kind of pulled me forward a little more as I was kind of overzealously uh, jumping in for the uppercut, and that's what hurt me was the the head clash. Okay, so I, so I win, so I'm right. I uh, yeah, I mean you're you're right. The the hook didn't bother me. It was 
if anything, the fist of his fist didn't hit my head. It was more like his forearm it did the inside of his forearm. So, so that's not what hurt me. It was definitely the clashing of heads and, and I smashed his head pretty hard. You could see the blood gushing out in in the fight. It was pretty, pretty nasty. I mean, you uh, recovered right away, but I mean, were you, were you hurt, man? Mm-hmm. That happens in a lot of my fights, actually, just that one flash knockdown and, and I recover very, very quickly. And, for some reason, it's like I have to get that flash knocked down almost. <laughs> uh, one of the guys that fought made fun of me because he's a friend of mine now, but he laughed at me because he dropped me with a jab. And after that, I teed off on him for, for uh, the rest of the fight. But, I mean, it's like I have to have that, that flash knockout. And then I recover immediately, and it's fine. I, I don't know what it is about my makeup, my biology, whatever it is, but just like I need it. No, I mean, I heard UFC Hall of Famer, uh, Forrest Griffin say the exact same thing in the prime of his career that you know he, he needed to take a punch or two to wake up to know that you look I really am in a fist fight. This is happening right now. We're doing this. <laughs> so was there at all you know? I, listen, I know you're a very mentally strong guy. I've been seeing you fight on the regional scene for years. But was there at all mm-hmm. any intimidation knowing that you're fighting a Mexican in Mexico? You know what kind of pride those guys have. You know that they're true warriors. You know they don't give a damn. Were you at all like, you know, this is going to be serious? No. I mean, when I was coming up, everyone, her, the people in the regional area around me know that I didn't have that, you know, home base promotion that really promoted me. I was always the one traveling out of uh, town to go and fight other people. I think I fought professionally in Charlotte only twice. And the rest of the time I'm going into all these other places where the promotion really had the best interests of their fighter in mind. And I was going into enemy territory all the time. And so it, it was nothing new to me. There was a lot more booze than I was expecting, but, but I mean, uh, no one, no one here was a Mexican and, and their heritage and uh, fighting sports and boxing and everything like that. That might have been a little bit of an intimidation factor. You know, they're known for good cardio and just toughness. But I, I felt like I had a mental edge over him and a, and a endurance edge over him as well. Yeah, definitely. Now, last thing about the elevation, you know, because I spoke with your brother and he was telling me, you know, he gets off the mm-hmm. plane feeling lightheaded. For you, was it at all an issue? No, no. So uh, I traveled the same day as two of my corners, so... I have this little oxygen sensor for my finger, you know, and when I got off the plane, my oxygen levels were at like 94, 95, not too low, but a little bit lower than normal. And then I did theirs and they were like 89 and 90. I was like, man, that must have, that must have really helped me, you know, the, the tent and everything and, and just being in great shape. All right, Jordan, you ready for the hard hitting questions, man? Sure. So two years ago, your Carolina Panthers were, you know, the best team in the league. <laughs> last last year, my Atlanta Falcons were the second best. They choked when it mattered most. Let me get your prediction for this, we, we this upcoming season. <laughs> What's going to happen this upcoming season, man? We're going to split the series, but we're going to win the division. And And here's why. Our offense is going to be better. Cam has had a year with a child now, so that's the big thing I thought Cam had a problem was he had a child, a uh, uh, newborn last year. We knew that he was, that was going to take away from him. Our defense was a little iffy. We shored up a lot of holes. We're gonna we're gonna wreck y'all. <laughs> I cannot wait, man. It's good. Do you know if this year is going to be in uh in your town or my town? What do you mean the, the, the game? The game itself. 
Well, they have one in each, so. Oh, uh, so we're going to play y'all twice. Okay, well, we'll look to make it 2-0, right. and o, Jordan. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so, hey, man, I mean, look, now you officially got your first win in the UFC. You're here to stay. Mm-hmm. And even in that debut, I mean, you go against a guy in Abel Trujillo on short notice. And, look, the only people to ever beat Abel Trujillo inside the UFC's octagon, the number one contender, Khabib, the number two contender, <laughs> Tony Ferguson, and top 15 guy, James Vick. I mean, you have to be very, very elite to beat him. And you got very close, and it was simply a matter of, you know, it was a short-notice fight. But do you feel like you learned a lot from that fight and, you know, it's going to elevate you in years to come? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so think even going back to those fights with Khabib and, and Tony Ferguson, you look at those first rounds, and he destroys people. In every fight, he's the better athlete. He's the faster athlete. He's the best wrestler. He's He's a phenomenal athlete, but then he always gasses, and that's how these guys beat him. But in the first round, he dominates people. So then when I go in there, and, and he beat me in the first round, but it was a very close first round. You know, after that fight, I was like, there's no doubt anymore. There's no doubt. This is where I'm supposed to be. I've pushed myself so hard. I've learned so much. I've, I've you know, done the, the hard work. I haven't blown up my record with, with bums. I've done the right steps. And, and that fight was validation for me being in the UFC. I wasn't the one that got wrecked by, by Abel Trujillo. I gave Abel a very tough fight in my, pro, or in my UFC debut, and, and it really helped my, my mindset going, going forward, especially into the Alvaro fight. And uh, just going forward in my training, it, it just gave me a lot more confidence. It, it made me sure the, the UFC call-up was, was a good thing and was right. Yeah, no, and I'm glad you brought that up. Tell me about your mindset, man, because, I mean, you're a guy that's overcome a lot of adversity. You know, even on the regional scene, we all remember that BS uh, decision against Ronnie Rogers, which we all thought you won. And, <laughs> and, 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 and like you said, man, you've been fighting tough dudes, Brian Ortega, all these guys. And now do you feel like, you know, but you've always had the physical capabilities, but now do you feel like the mental is catching mm-hmm. up to the physical? Exactly. And, and, that's the biggest thing that I've always had, like the little man's complex, but not that angry little man's complex, but the, <laughs> the little man's complex where I'll be 20 pounds bigger than the guy, and I'll look at him and say, man, he's big. He, he's bigger than me. So so now that I've got that win under my belt and everything and, and the fight with Abel, it really did grow my confidence tr- tremendously, you know, showing me I belong here. I have the gifts. I have these things, and I have the work ethic to not only compete with these people, but to smash them. And that's what you showed on Saturday night. So, I mean, Jordan, is there anyone that you want to fight next? I mean, obviously you'll take whatever they give you, but is there anyone you're eyeing? <laughs> There's nobody on mine. I don't, I don't call people out like that or anything. I mean, I honestly am confident in my, in my skill set that I match up with the best of them. And, and it's going to take time and I, I got to pick the right fights in the UFC because they're all tough, but but we're going to go up the line slowly and surely, but uh, just the right fights, you know. Uh, and I think over the next two years or so, you're going to see not only me win a bunch, but but start more convincingly uh, winning and, and showing my skill set more because a lot of the stuff that, that a lot of people have only seen are, are the grappling part or is the grappling part that I have. But I got to start showing off the hands a little more too, and, and I think that will be apparent especially after this win, you know, it, it kind of locks me in there as opposed to before this fight. If I would have lost it, you know, 
it could have been the back to the regional circuit for me. So, so this gives me a little bit more wiggle room, if you will, with my, my techniques used in the, in the next fight. Oh no, a hundred percent about it. And let me just ask you on a personal level, how does it feel to be in the deepest weight class in combat sports? Because I mean, 155 pounds is a shark tank and I'm not even just talking about the top 25. I'm talking about the top 200. Well, well, it makes sense too, because 155 people are walking around 170, 180, maybe 190. That's the, the most normal sized person in the world. I mean, the, if you look at the average size person, that's what the uh, lightweight uh, weight class is filled with. So it, it only makes sense that it's the best and the most athletic and the most talent uh, rich pool on a personal level. I don't love the idea. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fantastic if we had the skill set of the heavyweight division, I'd run through it, but you know, it's pretty cool to say, Hey, I'm, I'm in the best promotion in the world at the best weight class in the world. I mean, now, as I climb up the rankings, it's it's going to be shown that, hey, this guy's really, really good. A hundred percent. So, Jordan, what's next for Jordan Rinaldi? Hopefully, November, we're, we're looking for November. I doubt the MSG card will, will have any room for me, but hopefully they have a fight in uh, Virginia and Norfolk, which would be fantastic. A lot of my uh, friends and family could drive up from Charlotte, and, and I'm hoping to get on that card be able to eat thanksgiving this year instead of starving myself over it so that's ideal hey between us take the hometown fight because i hear those new york taxes aren't kind oh yeah and i forgot about that too they double tax there don't they yeah it's uh kind of ridiculous <laughs> a lot of people you know it's funny a lot of champions not just uh dudes that are on the prelims a lot of fighters in general say like i'm never fighting in new york again absolutely it's foolish Yep. So, man, so they're coming to Northfolk? I believe so. And, and they haven't decided a, uh, a headliner for that yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be somebody cool, you know? I mean, almost got a fight on a card with BJ Penn. That would have been awesome. But hopefully it'll be an interesting fight and have more hype than this one. It, I was a little disappointed in the lack of promotion for this fight, uh, this whole fight card, you know? I think Sergio and Moreno are are fantastic fighters and they should have gotten a little more credit her promotion than they did. And, and as well as Rashad Evans being on there, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this card and, and I feel like it kind of got pushed to the wayside because of the, the three weekend fights prior. Oh, no, I mean, when you're sandwiched in between John Jones and then Mayweather McGregor, I mean, it was just unfortunate timing, you know what I mean? But I, I'm pretty damn sure your next fight will be well promoted, and man, we cannot wait to see it. Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's always a pleasure, man. Let the audience know where they can follow you on social media and any message for the fans. Go ahead. Thank you uh, for having me again, of course, and um, all of my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's all Jordan Rinaldi. Pretty easy uh, to remember. And just thankful for all my fans, all my, my teammates and training partners and coaches. And thankful that God gave me the talents to, to do what I love and to promote his word as much as possible. Jordan, thanks again for the time and best of luck in the next step. Thank you. Take care. You too. Joining me now is the number one flyweight prospect outside of the UFC. I'm talking about Jose Shorty Torres. Jose, welcome back to Half the Battle. Oh, well, it's a pleasure being back on. Thank you. 
Oh, the pleasure's all mine, man. And I mean, dude, look, you got all the credentials to be in the UFC. You're the former Titan Bantamweight champ. You're the former uh, Titan Flyweight champ. What else do you got to do to get the call to the big show? Oh, man, your guess is as good as mine. You know, they they go, hey, man, you just beat a guy who's 18-2 and two to defend your Flyweight Championship, and you're only 4-0 now. We want to see you come back to adversity. I was like, ah, oh, fine. All right, let's let's bump up a weight class. Let's let's do something that not many MMA fighters and smaller promotions like Titan, Cage Warriors, and so on, you know, have done before. So I was like, all right, let's be like Tom the Fire Kid, Conor McGregor, Juan Archuleta, guys who, you know, are notorious for being known because they have two, you know, belts. I end up bumping up against Farquaad Sharapov, breaking my hand, my MC on the first round, and going five rounds really, really hard, and coming back from adversity, and I still don't get the call. So I'm. I'm telling you, your your guess is as good as mine. Now, is there any truth that you were supposed to fight this guy, Casey Kenny, on the Tuesday Night Contender Series? That's what I heard. Is there any truth to that? Um, That was actually the first time I heard the name, but there was a truth that I was supposed to fight the Contender Series, or at least I was offered to the Contender Series multiple times. Um, Honestly, you know, and, and I think the show is a fantastic show. I just don't think it's right for me. I think it's a great show for – for you know, UFC veterans trying to make their way back, like Kurt Hollibaugh and guys who are prospects that you know don't have any championship titles for Titan or other other smaller promotions, just trying to come back up and maybe you know get noticed by the UFC that way. I think it's great for both those type of fighters, but I feel like I'm in the middle. I think my my resume speaks for itself, and I shouldn't need a show like that to be qualified to be in the UFC. I agree, man. I mean, so you basically feel like you're beyond that. Yeah, I mean, again, I think the show's a fantastic show. I think the Snoopcast is hilarious, and and it's getting you know gonna really really popular and made some fighters really popular because of it. But for me, I just don't think I need a show mainly when it comes to you know I put all this pressure on myself in front of a uh, fight in front of Dana White. I win. I'm with the five guys in the room waiting for the call, and I don't get the call. It's like ah, yeah, I might as well just keep on fighting for Titan and keep on building building my resume that way. This is true. Now I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second. So the reason why I would say, you know, maybe consider to take that fight, and obviously this is your career, your decisions, but, you know, it, it does count on your pro record, and they're still paying you. So, you know, you, even if they don't, you know, sign you right then and there, you're still getting paid, you still get another win. So it can't be that bad, right? It can't be that bad, but it's also the fact of you're fighting in front of Dana White, he, or you're fighting in front of all the matchmakers, Sean Shelby, McMahon, or Dana and if they see you then and there and they don't like you, even though you won and put on possibly your best performance, they don't like you, it's like, oh, man, what else do I have to do? Man, if they don't like me then right in front of them, well, I might as well just, just keep on fighting, maybe even look for a different promotion or just have to fight four more times or, or do something spectacular, you know, in, uh, in Titan or another promotion. So you know, that's why I say I might as well keep in front of, you know, fight in front of Titan, keep on building my resume that way. And hopefully one day my paperwork, my resume can build me up. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I introduced you as the former Titan champ, so you're still the flyweight champ for them. Yeah, I'm still the flyweight and bantamweight champion. Oh, okay, that's what's up, so you're still the champ champ. <laughs> nice, man. So, I'm still the champ champ, man, and, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting to, to hopefully relinquish those titles and, and move up to the UFC so maybe I can get some new belts. Yeah, no, it's just interesting because, look, you take on a guy in Pedro Nobre, you know, UFC vet, you smashed him in the first round, and so the question always is, well, we know Jose can put people away early. What happens if he has to go through adversity? What happens if he has to go through a five-round championship fight? And that's exactly what you did against uh, Sharapov. So, you know, what else do you need to show? Obviously, we've already spoken about that. So who would be the next opponent for you in Titan, man? 
Um, you know, I beat the two best guys in the Titan. I beat, you know, the number one contender, which was 18-2, and two, UFC veteran, one of the best records outside the UFC in the flyweight division. And you fought Farquhar Sheripoff. I bumped up a weight class to fight the best guy, the champion, and I was able to dominate that fight with a broken hand and torn MCL in the first round and after being dropped. So I already beat the best two guys. Right now they're actually having a contender fight um, against Gustavo Bilar and George Calvo, which are two contenders coming up in the flyweight division. Whoever wins that fight is next in line for me. And uh, I actually will be commentating August 18th for that card. So whoever wins, I'll be doing the face-off. And if I don't get called up in the UFC before that fight occurs, then I'll be fighting them and see what happens. Okay, now not to sound like a broken record or anything, but that fight, you know, taking on the winner of that, that's more exciting to you than, you know, Tuesday Night Contender? Um, To me it is. You know, again, I'm, I'm a person that if you're, you know, I, I believe in the ranking system. You know, if you deserve to be next, and hey, man, I'm more than happy to fight the best, and that's what I want to do. I'm going to fight the best. The Contender Series, again, it's it's a phenomenal show, but and, and I'm being a little prideful here. I, I can definitely admit that. But my resume shouldn't need a show like that. You know, I've done something that Conor McGregor did, but nearly three times as fast when he was in Cage Warriors. He was 14-1 and one when he fun, you know, won the two belts. I'm 5-0, and oh, you know, and, and I feel like I fought tough for competition as well. These guys had phenomenal records above 20-plus fights. And I was only five and all the time. The record that I've beaten is 50-19 between all five of my opponents. You know, so I've done work in only one year's time. I can just imagine what I can do in the UFC in one year's time. I just need to be able to get that shot. And um, it's it's been it it sucks denying McMahon for the Contender Series. But two things: one, I am injured. I still have my broken hand. I won't be punching someone in the face until September, anyways. But overall, I just I don't want to do the show. It's again, my resume speaks for itself, and I believe. Um, I believe that deserves some some type of respect. I can't argue with that, man. So you know what? Let's talk about your last fight because you got the chance to go all five rounds. You got you got to overcome adversity. That's what champions do. What was it like for you to have that kind of experience? Um, it was it wasn't bad. You know, as well as things that during the fight I felt great, even though I had the broken hand, torn MCL, and I you know felt the pain all through. My conditioning was phenomenal. I knew I was beating a professional boxer at the boxing game. And I was just pushing the pace no matter what and showing the UFC that, hey, man, I'm, I'm pretty much like a flyweight John Lineker that I'm just going, 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 going. And I feel I'm a little more technical as well. Now I'm always there to put on a show whether whether I'm winning or losing. And, you know, again, I got dropped. I broke my hand. I tore my MCL. And I just pushed forward the whole way through. Uh, the only bad part was after, you know, you look back at the film, you're like, oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. And I, I did become a little prideful. I did want to do a, a John Jones and, and beat my opponent at his own game. Yeah, I, I Probably could have easily taken him down like I did in the fifth round and, and sometimes during the fight. I, I could have easily made it just a ground fight and maybe finished him because of it. But, you know, overall, I thought it was more of an exciting fight to, to stand in bang, give the guys a good show. And, you know, we're both all beat up, cut up. And I mean, it, was, it was a good time. It's, it's a live and learn experience. But I can tell you this. I'm definitely um, integrating my style a little better and trying to move my head a lot more and stop blocking on my face. <laughs> well, I mean, you look, you got to show your championship merit out there. And you mentioned John Jones. Now, how unbelievable did that guy look a week ago when he went out there and, you know, dethroned uh, his biggest rival, DC, after a year layoff and all the things he went through? Dude, it's it's amazing. It shows how naturally talented that guy is and how hard he worked. You know, I've been at Jackson Wing three times for my training camps. And every single time has been is when he when he was laid off. You know, so every single time I'm there, he's still working out like he's there for a training camp. So it's not like he he took off and was just relaxing and doing nothing. He went there, he worked his ass off, and he just kept pushing forward no matter what. I think John Jones is a phenomenal guy. And being able to do what he's done, mainly at his age and 
and and all the you know the mess ups he's had. It's it's phenomenal to see him come back, and I'm just excited to to maybe see him fight Gustafsson or or maybe Anthony Johnson if Anthony Johnson decides to come back or whomever. You know, I, it's it's pretty it's pretty scary because again, Cormier was on a tear while John Jones was gone. I thought he was a dominant champion. But he did have that shadow of losing to John Jones. John Jones comes back and proves that he's still the best pound for pound uh, fighter in the world. Unbelievable, man! Did you see uh, this guy Volkan Uzdemir that's just been knocking everyone out? He came out of nowhere and he's already the number three guy at light heavyweight. Dude, and I believe Volkan was a Titan FC guy. He was supposed to be one of my co-main events, and he ended up getting the last uh, last minute call against Saint Pro, winning a split decision by that. Dude, he's been he's been on the tear as well. And again, that's that's the opportunity people get is get that last minute opportunity. You get to fight in front of the biggest, you know, in the in the biggest stage in the world and he just he loves the pressure. He just keeps on pushing forward. It's awesome and it's it's a, a huge congratulations for him. I hope I can get the same opportunity to one day. You will, man. So dude, where are you training at these days? Um, you know, right now I'm traveling around. I'm still trying to rehab for both my knee and my hand and just trying to make a hopefully a little taller of a shorty. <laughs> um, I'm traveling down to Missouri training with uh, M3 Muscle Motion Mastery, which is my rehab center, uh, neural reset therapy, and just doing everything possible, a lot of swimming work, and it sucks, because I'm using muscles that I've never used before, I'm like, man, I get this I get this lady next to me that she's just doing it with ease, and I'm trying to do something in the pool, and I can't even float, you know, so it's uh, it's a little bit of a struggle, but it's, a, it's creating a whole new short, and I'm actually trying to get the splits again, I'm trying to kick people in the face, so uh, I'm just really excited, man, it's... Um, be down here for a month, and hopefully in October I'll be up there in Colorado and LA with TJ, and just traveling back and forth with him in training camp. Now you are the champ, champ. Which weight class do you enjoy fighting in more? Now I know you know you might say bantamweight because you don't have to cut the weight, but where do you feel stronger, man? Uh, I definitely do feel stronger at flyweight. I think the best part about bantamweight is that I don't have to cut as much weight. I'm literally just just dieting better to make the weight. I don't have to you know decrease my water, decrease anything. It's it's awesome. Um, flyweight is a little bit of a struggle, just like anybody making a, a weight class is probably about 25 to 30 pounds under them. But yeah, I have nutrition on my side, and because of that, it's the only reason I can fight flyweight. But overall, I want to. My goal in the UFC is to dominate the flyweight division as fast as possible, accomplish all the goals I want to accomplish at flyweight, and then when I'm older, maybe 30s, I want to bump up the bantamweight and do, you know see what I can do against some of the best there. Definitely. Now, do you think that Ray Borg or Sergio Pettis can be the ones to dethrone the great Mighty Mouse Johnson, or do you think it's going to happen when, uh, when you join? That's It's hard, man, because one, anything can happen. I mean, both of those guys can literally just close their eyes, throw a punch, and somehow land, and it's all over. But it's Mighty Mouse has been such a dominant champion. I just don't see him. I think I just honestly see him getting much better as, as his fights go on. I mean, to see the way he just demolished William Hayes and to see the way he's been demolishing Harry Cejudo and all the people before him. I mean, he's just getting better and finishing every single fight. I have I don't see him being dethroned for a while. So I think Ray Borg and Sergio Pettis pose a great threat because they are young and it's one of those things that even if they do do lose, they have another chance to get back at it very, very fast. So they'll have that, oh, we've been through it once, now we know what to expect. Now we know how to push forward and see where it goes from there. But I don't see them dethroning them anytime soon and I'm hope, I'm hoping to be the one to do it. Now, Jose, before I let you go, man, I know you're a guy that visualizes and, you know, as of right now, it looks like your next fight is going to be in Titan FC, but when you visualize your career, you know, when, when are you going to make that UFC debut? I don't know, man. Actually, if people have been following my Twitter, um, Jared Brooks and Eric Shelton were the uh, UFC fight pass prelims for the Cormier Jones card. Mm -hmm. And 
two things, a little backstory on Jared Brooks. Him and I both campaigned to fight Ian McCall uh, when Ian McCall's opponent had to back out. So last minute call, we both campaigned for it. Ian began the call. He was 12-0. It was 4-0 at the time. Hey, Matt, congratulations. That's awesome. Then he fights a friend, Eric Shelton, and wins a very controversial split decision. I was like, oh, man, I want to fight this guy now. Like, one, I'm still butthurt that you got my UFC <laughs> debut. And two, and two, you beat a friend, which I believe my friend won. I could be biased, but... You know, I was like, oh, man, I believe my friend won. Man, I want to fight you. I know I can beat you. You weren't an entertaining fight, but I know you have talent. I know you have skill. I think our our style-wise together is just a very fan-entertaining fight. So I quoted him. You know, I tagged him on Twitter. Out of all the people that were talking smack and uh, coincidentally, he ended up just responding back to me. We've been on a Twitter war for probably about a week now. I mean, this guy personally you know, DMs me and, and, and tags me stuff on Instagram, tags me stuff on Twitter. And it's just like, this is hilarious because the – I don't mind trash talking, and I'm not a I'm not a person to do it. I'm not you know, I'm I'm very fan friendly. I try not to swear. I, I try not to create problems. It's just business for me. But when you got a guy arguing like a teenager, I'm like, oh my god, this is this is easy. This is awesome. I was like, man, this might be as easy as when I fight you. you know? So <laughs> it's uh it's one of those things that uh, also I I thought it was very weird. I'm like, cool, let's fight November fourth. I believe it's Madison Square Garden. Let's get on that card. He goes, no. Screw Madison Square Garden. I want to fight in Detroit in front of my friends and family. I was like, ah, uh, dude, it's it's Madison Square Garden. Like, who doesn't want to fight in front of Madison Square Garden? <laughs> you can fight you can fight Detroit later on or even next year, but it's Madison Square Garden. You get that opportunity. You stop whatever you're doing. You get that opportunity. You take it. But he wants to fight in Detroit. I'm like, all right, man. If I was trying to save you the embarrassment from getting beat up in front of your family and friends and fight in New York, but I guess you want in Detroit, then so be it. Let's have it in Detroit. So it's official by him and myself that we want to fight each other. No other opponents. But now we need Mick Maynard to set this up. Yes, sir. So all the fans listening, we need a campaign. Jose Shorty Torres versus Jared Brooks. MSG, that would be a sick fight. And uh, I know Jared Brooks has been relentless with the trash talk. I had no clue he was in your DMs, too. That's hilarious. Well, it's, it's funny because he's in my DMs. But he you know, requested, he requested the message me. So I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll read it, whatever. I'm thinking he's going to be all nice in the DMs. He's all smack talking. I was like, dude, <laughs> honestly... You're getting a lot of publicity from this trash talk, probably more publicity than you even got from your fight, so you're welcome. And because of that, you might actually get your dream come true to fight in Detroit. So again, you're double welcome. Never read it, never did anything. I was like, oh, that's no fair. So, uh, you know, hey, man, if we fight you know, Mass Square Garden in November, that's awesome. If not, let's fight in Detroit in December. I'm, I don't care where I fight. I just want a contract, and I know all I have to do is don't leave it to the judges. I don't mind finishing people. That's fine with me. And even when you have left it to the judges, it's been pretty dominant, so, you know. But I know you enjoy finishing fights more, but Jose, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now, on Half the Battle. It's always a pleasure, man. And uh, just stay positive, man. The future is bright, and uh, when the time is right, the, the right things will happen. Like you said, man, it's always a pleasure. I'm always happy to be on the show, and I can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much. You got it, bro. And before you go, let the fans know where they can follow you and any message for them. Go ahead. Yeah, please. You know, again, I always say, you know, we can, we will together. We are Team Shorty, so please, if people want to support and follow, Jose Shorty Tours on Instagram, Jose Shorty Tours on Facebook, Shorty Tours 125 on Twitter, and I do do a lot of fundraisers with uh, my merchandise. You know, I usually get 20% of the earnings of the kids at my gym uh, so they can travel and train. Like, I had the opportunity to compete in multiple tournaments and get all these accolades and get out of neighborhoods. So, JoseShortyTours.com if you want to support, and I really appreciate everything, guys. Thank you. You got it, man. Have a great day. You as well, man. Joining me now is Martin the Spartan Day. Martin, welcome to Half the Battle. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, dude, you're fighting next week on Dana White, Tuesday Night Contender. It's a massive opportunity. How do you feel about that? 
Feeling good, bro. Ready to go. Ready. So, dude, you're a five foot ten flyweight. How the hell do you make that weight? Uh, it's tough, but making the weight's never an issue for me. I always make weight. Uh, to me, it's just part of the job. It's not the funnest part, but it's something that we have to do, especially taking this fight on, you know, pretty short notice, about two and a half weeks out. It's it's going to be tough to make it, but like I said, something we all got to do and sign on that dotted line, so that means I'm going to be 125. Now, all Hawaiians, from what I've noticed, man, y'all are super mentally tough. You guys like to fight. What's what's in the water over there that, you know, that makes it that Hawaiians are such warriors? It's in the culture, man. It's in the, it's in our it's in our upbringing. It's in it, it's uh it's hard to explain, but as a as a kid and and in the history of Hawaii, it's just there's so much warrior mentality and there's so much warrior culture just ingrained within our culture. And, and within our ancestry, you know. Uh, so if, if you look at the history of Hawaii, it's a warrior kingdom. It's a warrior nation. And even till today, Hawaii is a warrior nation, uh, which is currently being oppressed by the United States. You know, we're currently illegally occupied. If you look at the history of Hawaii, uh, to most people think we're the 50th state when really we're, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not a state at all legally. There's no legal documentation that we are. And, you know, Hawaii has been, that's just one of the things that makes Hawaiians tough, I think, is just the, uh, the warrior, the warrior nation of us that's within us, and also when when you're in Hawaii growing up, you, you're gonna get into fights. You know, you're gonna get into you're gonna get lickings from your parents. You're you're gonna get hit with something if you misbehave. You're gonna get into fights in school. It's just part of it. Um, maybe it is in the water. I'm not sure. Hey, okay. So you just said something that I've never heard anyone say before, and you know it has to do with the Hawaiian roots. And you guys feel like you know Hawaii is being occupied. So it, do you mean that Hawaii is its own country? Absolutely. Look at the, if you read the history of if you look up the history of Hawaii, it's illegally annexed. They put the Queen Liliuokalani under house arrest. They raised the U.S. flag, and illegally annexed the Kingdom of Hawaii. And you guys can look into that yourself if you want. But that's why there's uh, so much Hawaiian pride. And um, there are lots of Hawaiian annexation movements because, you know, there is no legal documentation that say Hawaii is a 50th state. We are illegally occupied. Wow. You learn something new every single day on half yeah. the battle, man. But, hey, let me ask you something because, look, you guys have had champions before. Obviously, BJ Penn, Hall of Famer. But now you got Max Blessed Holloway and uh, – the kid is just an absolute stud. You know, how does it feel to have someone representing your country like that? Or, you know, I said your country, but people are going to give me a lot of shit for that. But how, do, how does it feel to have someone representing Hawaii like that? It feels, it feels really good. It feels great. Max is an excellent representation, and he's always, um, he's always representing Hawaii in a great way. He, he embodies the, the Hawaiian mentality, you know, just go out there and scrap. Yeah, you know, you saw it in one of his moments out there in the octagon where he just pointed to the ground against Ricardo Lamas, and they just went for it. It was Ricardo Lamas, yeah? Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, and, and he's an excellent champion, and it's, and it's awesome to be able to train with a guy like that on a regular basis. Man, that's so cool. What is it like training with the champ? I mean, does that just elevate your game every single time you're in the training room together? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it elevates everybody's game. And uh, we also have several other guys in the UFC that we train with. So, uh, and, and like I, I always say... There, there are, there's so much talent in Hawaii. There's so many good fighters that are top level guys, just really, really good, good fighters, good guys. The, the thing is, they're not known yet, and 
that's one of the things that these guys that are making it big are helping to to do is put put Hawaii on the map and kind of give these guys that no one knows the exposure that they need because Hawaii we're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean we're the most isolated landmass in the world so I'm not even can't even call it a landmass we're pretty small but um, <laughs> yeah man there's so much talent and they're just yet to be found you you've seen some of them you know there's a wave of Hawaiian fighters coming in we've had three of them so far already that have fought in the contender series and uh, there are more to come and I'm the next one in line so besides yourself, you know, who are some guys I need to look out for? Because, I mean, look, this kid, Boston Salmon, he's going to do some big things, in my opinion. Yeah, Boston, you know, he's from Waianae. He's a man. You saw Dan Yee. You saw Shaden Lealoha last week. And um, there there are other names coming up. You know, Ryan Dela Cruz. There's, uh, you know, there's so, there's, there's my, my head is just Ian Dela Cuesta. There's, uh, there's uh, Edward Thomas. So many good guys coming up. You know, there's this kid, Joe Bird. Um I could go on and on with these names, bro. Uh, there's just so, so much talent. Hawaii has the best strikers in the world. Yes, sir. Well, who do you train your striking with? Because I heard there's like two major gyms over there. There's the one with Ivan Flores, and then there's the one where Louis Smolka trains. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually – I train with Hawaii Elite MMA, and uh, that, that we're under head coach Charles Kipili. Yeah, That's, him. Uh, he, he's the head coach for myself. Uh uh, Louis Smoka, Russell Doan, who are both in the UFC. And we also cross-train a lot at Technics Jiu-Jitsu, and that's where I get all my, my Jiu-Jitsu in as well with Rylan Lazarus. Rylan Lazarus is my uh, my Jiu-Jitsu and grappling coach, and he does a lot of my strategy for me as well. And he's actually Max's head coach. Uh, so, uh, um, uh, yeah, the guy Ivan is a, is a different is a different coach. Uh, I, don't, I don't work with him. Really, he's. Uh, I think he's. He, he's a striking coach for Max and several other guys. But my striking coach is Charles Kipili. Yeah, you know, I've spoken with Smolka before, and he's talking to me about Kipili. You know, there's a lot of loyalty towards that guy, and for very good reason. You must feel like uh, you're pretty damn prepared for this fight next Tuesday. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I, I live in the gym. I'm always. I'm always ready. I stay ready. So I'm looking forward to it very much. So let me ask you your opinion on this because, look, you're a flyweight and the champion in your division is Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. A lot of people consider him to be one of the top pound-for-pound fighters on planet Earth. Now, he's taking on a guy in Ray Borg who, I mean, the, the kid can scramble, I'll tell you that. So do you think that Ray Borg or maybe even Sergio Pettis who won last night, do you think either of those guys have a chance to dethrone the great Mighty Mouse? Uh, I don't think I, – I give this upcoming fight to – Demetrius Johnson, I think he's going to win every round with Ray Borg in a decision. You know, Ray is tough. He, he actually fought my teammate, Lewis. Um, Lewis was actually in the hospital's ER room several times that, that week, by the way, and still showed up to fight. Uh, if uh, not making any excuses or anything, but Lewis is a better fighter than both of those guys. Um, and uh, I think Demetrius Johnson is going to stay the champion for a while. I think he has the tools to beat both of those guys that you just mentioned, both Pettis and Ray Borg. And what about yourself, man? You know, because look, you got Jamie Alvarez. You don't want to look ahead, but when you do see the flyweight division, how do you think you stack up with these guys? Uh, I think I stack up great. You know, I think I can use my attributes uh, to to win a lot of fights at flyweight, especially my height and my kicking abilities. I think we've seen that uh, with uh, with uh, Demetrius Johnson, we can keep him at range. If I was able to fight him, I'd definitely be able to definitely be able to keep keep him at a at a further range. You know using my long strikes, using my kicking attacks, and uh, my excellent takedown defense. So 
that being said, I think I stack up great against anybody in the flyweight division. So I heard that both Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn brought you in to mimic Yair. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, well, for BJ Penn's camp, he brought me in for his last week of, of sparring uh, just because he was back in the Big Island. All right, the Big Island is uh, uh, what we call the Hawaii Island, our largest island in the chain. That's where BJ Penn lives. Anyway, he brought me. He was back visiting family and stuff, so he brought me in to spar with uh, him to mimic Yair. And then a few months after that, I was brought into Frankie Edgar's camp, almost the whole camp. Uh, I was. They had me staying there for a couple of weeks, but ended up staying longer. I guess I was doing a good job, so that's good to hear. And it was an honor to train with both of those guys. But yeah, man, I was able to mimic Yair, and as you can see, Frankie did a outstanding job in that fight. The performance was very one-sided. Man, I was blown away by uh, by Frankie that night, man. So, I mean, what, do you have like a Taekwondo background? You just throw a bunch of crazy kicks. I know you're long for the weight class, but, uh, you know, wh why did they specifically bring you in, man? Well, they brought me in because I, I can have a similar style to Yair, you know, only better. <laughs> so, um, I, I uh, yeah, I have a Taekwondo background, Taekwondo and boxing. So I can throw those kicks when when needed. I can switch stance. I can spin from both directions. I can kick from both directions equally well. Uh, so that's why I was brought in. And uh, also my takedown defense is great. So, yeah, you know, similar style. It makes sense to bring a guy like me into the camp. And I think it benefited him well. Man, the way you just described your style, you know, for the fans listening, they're all going to be like, okay, I want to watch this kid on Tuesday Night Contender because, you know, we don't want to see guys that go out there and hump someone's leg and try to stall out the clock. We want to see real fighters. Obviously, you're Hawaiian, so you're a real by trait, by nature, by virtue, but you also bring that flashy style. You knock people out. So uh, what do you think about this guy you're facing, Jamie Alvarez? Yeah, man, look, like what you said, sorry to deter from the question, but yeah, we're trying to get a we're trying to get a freaking UFC contract here. You know, no disrespect to wrestling or anything like that, but you got to go out there and you got to scrap if you're gonna if you want to get this contract. You gotta you gotta put on a good performance, and that's exactly what I plan to do against Jamie Alvarez. You know, hopefully he's not gonna want to try and hug me for the whole fight, but when he when he starts to feel my striking and starts to feel the trouble that he's gonna be in when he when he starts to fall into the traps that I set in the in the octagon. I, I believe he will start to start to want to shoot, but you know there will be no shot for him there. Uh, I'll, I'll stuff those shots. I won't be there when he wants me to be there to take me down. And I'll just, like I said, create traps in there, and he'll fall into my traps and get knocked out in the second round. Man, it's so important for great strikers to have, you know, not just good takedown defense, but a good get-up game. Because, for example, in your weight class, there's a kid named Eric Shelton who, man, he's super athletic, he's super talented, but his last fight, what cost him was giving up those, those takedowns at the end of rounds, and he wasn't able to get up. So, you know, is that a part of the game that you've addressed that you feel like, look, I can be out striking these guys, but they can weasel their weights to decisions by getting a takedown the last minute? Yeah, yeah. I'm aware that judges look at these takedowns and uh, they see that it is dominant position. Uh, so, like I said, though, I took this fight on a pretty short notice, so I didn't have much of a camp. Probably had about a week of a camp, you know, total. So, uh, but I'm always working on my takedown defense and I train with some really, really good wrestlers. You know, I'm always working on my takedown defense and my get-ups just so that I can keep the fight where I'm the most dominant, which is striking. I'm not worried about it. Definitely. Now, your manager told me that you have eight siblings. Now, look, 
I got three siblings, and it's already crazy. What's it like growing up with eight, man? Yeah, man, I grew up with with eight siblings. I am the seventh youngest. By the way, we're all from the uh, the same parents. I know a lot of. I gotta say that. <laughs> uh, but it was it was crazy, and we we were also all homeschooled by my mom. Wow. We were homeschooled, living in tents. Uh, we actually had a little two bedroom house for a, for a little while as well, but. Um, Yes, that that fact that we were all homeschooled and that there was nine of us adds to it because we were all each other had. You know, we didn't have much friends or anything like that. Uh, we lived way out in the boonies in in, uh, in the Big Island, so um, we became really tight as a family, and we continue to be that way. Everybody, for the most part, still lives very close to each other, and we still see each other on a regular basis. Uh, you know, all, most of the older brothers and sisters have kids and stuff now, so our family's constantly growing. But I love the fact that I grew up with a big family and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Man, your mother is an absolutely incredible woman to homeschool eight kids. That's that's amazing, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was actually the first one to, first in my family to graduate from a, from a regular high school. Uh, when nice. I was in 10th grade, I finally got to go to school when we moved here to Oahu. Uh, just on uh, just because my, my mom was no longer able to homeschool us. Man, so you've been through a lot, and now you know it's it all comes full circle. You get this huge opportunity. If it were up to you, how's it gonna go down on Tuesday night? Uh, I'm just going to knock him out in the second round, and that's it. Perfect. Nothing else needs to be said. Well, Martin, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been a pleasure. Let the audience know where they can follow you on social media and any message for the fans. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, my message is to the fans is to get get yourself tuned in Tuesday night. You know, I want to see all my Hawaii, my Hawaii people tuned in. I want to feel that support. I know you guys will. You guys are awesome. You always do. The support for the Hawaiian fighters is unbelievable, and it's part of the Ohana feeling from coming from Hawaii. So thank you, Hawaii, very much. And uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram at 34Spartan, uh, Twitter at uh, day underscore, no, I'm sorry, that's, yeah, <laughs> day underscore Spartan. And you can also follow me on uh, Facebook at Martin the Spartan Day. Awesome. Well, Martin, thanks again for the time, man, and best of luck in the fight. Thanks very much, bro. Have a good weekend. You too, man. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Jordan Rinaldi, Jose Shorty Torres, and Martin the Spartan Day. Thank you so much for checking out this very special edition of Half the Battle. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Shaq and I will be back later this week just to, you know, shoot the shit and talk about, just recap the year so far. You know, we got a three-week UFC break and... There's a lot to talk about, a lot that we've learned from, you know, mistakes, things we've done correct. You know, there's always room for improvement. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.